Precious Lord, take our hand to Scripture right now. Lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do something right now that I have never done before in my life. And that is, I'm going to share with you a story I heard just last Sabbath in this pulpit. My friend Delbert Baker, one of the general vice presidents of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, was here for Black History last Sabbath, so I'm in the congregation, and I hear this story. So if you've heard the story before, as in seven days ago, you're going to get blessed all over again. If you've never heard the story before, because you're a part of one of these 23 teams and 12 schools that have come here to Andrews University for the Cardinal Classic, glad to have you, all of you basketball heroes. You haven't heard the story before, so you're going to hear it right now and get blessed. And it blesses me to share it with you for a completely different reason than Pastor Baker shared it. So I go online after hearing the story last week. I go online, find the story. It is as Dell told it. I'm going to share it with you now. It's a story about a pastor. You can understand why this would get, catch my attention. It's a story about a pastor who donated an organ to another pastor. And suddenly I'm all ears. So I find the story in the Missoulian. That's the newspaper in Missoula, Montana. Went to their website, found the story. Here it is. I want to read just a few lines. There's a little bit of extra that Dale had to leave out because of time, I'm sure. Let me, let me just read a line or two to you. It was the mid-1980s when Chris Floor started listing himself as an organ donor on his driver's license. I hope you do that. Karen and I do that on our driver's license. You can just turn the card over, sign a little slip, have a witness sign it, and you're good to go on the day that you go no farther. <laughs> Police will turn that over and say, whoa, get him fast to a hospital. It's a great gift at the end of life. So Chris Floor signed this card at, uh, on his driver's license. It seemed like the right thing to do, he said Friday, adding that he was probably in his late teens at the time, so it's never too early. You can do it as a teenager. Floor, pastor of the St. Paul Lutheran Church in Missoula had generally the same reason, it seemed like the right thing to do, for his recent decision to donate a kidney to a colleague pastor with polycystic kidney disease. Pastor Barbara Westhoff, who has served her entire 23 years as a pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Westby, Montana, and I went on Google, where is Westby? Because I've been to Missoula. My dad was president of the Montana Conference, so I've been to Missoula but Westby, smack dab on the North Dakota border. 23 years she's been the senior pastor there. Pastor Barbara has known since her early 20s that she would likely get the disease. And here's what you didn't hear last week. A grandmother on her mother's side died from it in the 1960s, and her mother had it, received a transplant, and died six months later from complications in 1982. Her brother, now 55, received a kidney from a deceased donor in 1989 and is still living. 
which is good news since the average life expectancy after a transplant from a deceased donor is only about 12 years. So if you're going to get a kidney, get a live donor if you, can, if you possibly can. Now, Barbara, is, there are five stages of kidney failure, and Westhoff has been at stage four since 2006. All right? Two, two pastors, Chris Floor, Lutheran, Barbara Westhoff, Lutheran, same synod, and the synod office starts, the conference office starts sending out these little emails, pray for Barbara, pray for Barbara. She's got uh, polycystic kidney disease, and uh, Chris Floor is getting these emails. He's thinking, well, you know, wow, what's up with that? Now, when I heard this story, I'm thinking, why didn't her husband step forward and give his kid or her children? Why does it take another pastor to have to help you? Well, I found out more to that story. Westoff's husband of 33 years, Galen, would have liked to help but had already donated one of his kidneys to a sister in 1972 when the procedure was relatively new and before he met Barbara. Their kidneys coming from every direction in this story. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That's why he didn't give a kidney. So So Chris is reading these emails and he's thinking to himself, hey, I've seen these stories about people giving kidneys. I could give my kidney to Pastor Barbara. He didn't even know her. They'd met at some continuing education class, but that was it. And the moment Dell Bakers tells that part of the story, I stop the story. I'm not hearing another thing. I'm thinking, okay, I'm on a pastoral staff with seven other pastors. I'm going through the names. I'm, I'm, I'm plugging into this story thinking, would I give a kidney to somebody on my staff? So he, he makes the decision. She's on the waiting list at Porter Adventist Hospital. Isn't that something? Three to five year waiting list for a donor, period, no matter what kind of donor you got. 85,000 in the United States waiting for kidneys today. Incredible story. They go to Porter, they get checked out, it works. They, they make the exchange, the transfer. And then in a synod meeting, they're both brought up front in the Montana Synod. And the head of the synod says, hey, Barbara, you want to say a few words? She's stepping up to the microphone. What am I going to say to this guy that gave me a kidney and I'm alive today? She floods with tears. And Chris just stands there kicking his toe in the rug. I tell you, one of these glorious, makes you glad you're a human being kind of stories, isn't it? Wow. Why go back to it seven days later? Why are we going back to the same story, Pastor? I'll tell you why. I want to go for a different reason. Here's what I'd like you to do. Pretend you're Barbara Westop, the recipient, okay? You've gotten the kidney. I want to ask you a question now. Now that you have that kidney, how is it going to affect the rest of the way you live? I mean, you think about it. I, I'm sure it's a very moving moment. To, you know, he gave his kidney to me. But you think about what he just did. He's down to one kidney now. If his kidney heads south, it's curtains for him. He'll have to find a donor quick. Or he goes on dialysis for the rest of his life. So you're not only moved. But I want Here's the question. Wouldn't you be profoundly motivated... motivated to live the rest of your life in honor 
of the sacrifice of somebody who put his kidney inside my body. Wouldn't that be the case? Please, come on. And that is precisely the point of the one-line text for our meditation this morning. Open your Bible, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians. Here we are moving. This is a radical text. Let's put it on the screen. What's this series? This is The Radicals, part four. The series resumes right now. The Radicals, part four. You didn't get parts one, two, and three. You have got to get them. Please go to our website, www.pmchurch.tv. They're all sitting there, video, audio, any way you want it. They're there with the study guides. This is part four. Second Corinthians, one line. Look at this. Can you believe this? Second Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You, hey, you didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. You have, to, you have to look at this. It just needs to sink into your consciousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, be the New King James, the pew Bible, which is what I have here in the pulpit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, for the love, isn't this something? For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. I like the NIV better here. We are convinced that one, the word if is not even in the Greek, that one died for all and therefore all died. Isn't that line something? For the love of Christ compels us. What in the world is Paul talking about? Listen to this. He grabs a very technical word. He, for, for that word, for compels, here's the Greek word, sunecho. All right? Sunecho. Well, what in the world does sunecho mean? We have to find out by tracking Paul's intrepid missionary partner. You remember, Paul's a missionary. The Radicals is about becoming a missionary to serve somewhere on this planet. The whole point of this series is going to come to a bottom line in two Sabbaths where you sign on the dotted line and you say, I'll go. It's about becoming a missionary somewhere outside of your homeland. Paul is a missionary, intrepid missionary, and I love this. He is partnered with a physician. I tell you, that, that is one of the great combinations, a preacher and a physician. And they're wandering Asia Minor together, raising up churches. The beloved Dr. Luke, the beloved physician, Luke. Luke and Paul have heard each other. Luke takes this word. So we're going to go to Luke and find out, okay, Luke, what is, what's up with Suneco? And he uses it in two stories. One story you know. You remember the story about the woman with the, with the 12-year hemorrhage? She's bleeding for 12 years. Her period never stopped. It just kept going. 12 years long. Can't staunch it. All the other gospels say that she went to physician, spent all she had, and she was, she was none the better. Luke, being a physician, leaves that line discreetly out. He does. Not a word about going to other physicians. Ooh, what do you think? Our, our profession failed you? So not a word about it. That's okay. She spent everything she has. Twelve years. And in the, the Levitical Code, anybody who has any issue from any part of your body, any issue that comes out of you, any fluid inside of you that comes out, you're unclean. As long as that fluid's coming out, you're unclean. So because she's unclean, she can't even live in town. She has to move to the outskirts of the little village of Capernaum. And her family can't be around her because anything she touches is unclean. For 12 years, she's been bleeding. And then she hears that this Jesus of Nazareth from a nearby village is coming to her town. Sure enough, that day, a massive crowd all around him. And she realizes it's now or never. 
And so that little woman takes her bony wrist into that sea of faces and forest of legs. She takes her little bony wrist and she's got it up here that if I can just touch the the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. I just know I'm going to be healed. And so she's pushing through the crowd. She's emaciated. She's weak. She's been bleeding and she reaches down and through, through the legs, she sees the robe and she touches it. And electricity, and she's perfectly whole. And Jesus stops. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody jostles into him. Whoa, he said, somebody touch me. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. And Peter, God bless him, who told the story to Mark. Turnabout's fair play. Luke left something out. Mark, who got the story from Peter, leaves out who makes the next comment. Luke doesn't care about Peter's feelings, and he inserts it. Peter, who always speaks first and then thinks second. So the crowd jostles to a heart. Jesus, Jesus says, somebody has touched me. And Peter says, all right, Lord, this is wonderful. I'm glad we can stop. Let's just, hey, let's find out, folks, who touched Jesus. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Which one of you touched Jesus? Come on, fess up. We got to keep moving here. Jesus said, no. I felt, I felt power drain out of me. Somebody touched me. And he's waiting for the little woman to come forward because he has to make sure that when the story is ever told again, it will never be with a superstitious magic thinking that if you just touch a garment somewhere, you get healed. He has to let the story come out. He wants her faith to be confessed. She, in tears, collapses at his feet. Twelve years weak, twelve years, one second strong, but she's perfect. And she tells the story. And Jesus puts his hand on her head He says, woman, daughter, 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 your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Isn't that great? Your faith has healed you. Go, go. You're fine. The word, suneko, is the word where Luke is trying to describe the crowd around Jesus and the word is translated and he was being throttled, throttled by the crowd. So, suneko, the love of Christ, for the love of Christ compels us. What's that mean? Let's put it on the screen. Just based on this story, for the love of Christ throttles us. It presses in on us from every side utterly surrounding us. There's some of you today who need to know the truth about the compelling love of Christ. Your life is spinning out of control. Your heart has been broken into a thousand shards. You have no hope left. You're sure that it's curtains for your future. You need to know that this one line we are brooding on together is the truth that there is a love in this universe that already is throttling you. It's already reaching around you. It is pushing in from every side so that you can't, you can run, but you can't hide. You can't turn. That love is surrounding you. Give yourself to Jesus. What do I do, Dwight? You just call out to him. Say, hey, Jesus, I am a mess. If you don't do something, it's curtains for me. You just go to Jesus and you ask him. Just like that. You have restoring, healing, love that will give you hope again, give you a reason to dream and live. 
for the love of Christ compels us. Isn't that a great word? That's the one Paul chose. He said, I'm going to use Suneco right here. The other place that Luke uses it in the, is in the, the, the book of Acts, the story of the early Christian church. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, preaching his heart out, eloquent defense before this crowded Sanhedrin. He realizes finally they're not listening to him. He's just talked about the temple. They got all upset because he challenged. He said, God doesn't need this temple. The heavens is, his earth is his footstool. The heavens is his room. He doesn't need this temple. He touched the temple. Wrong thing to do with a Jew. Touch the temple. Sometimes Adventists are like Jews. We don't have a temple. We have truth. Touch the truth. Just touch it. You can bring the house down on you. Nothing wrong with the truth. Nothing wrong with the temple. But if everything's focused on the, the infrastructure, be it physical or intellectual, and you miss the person behind the infrastructure. You're dead meat, and you're running out of time. So, when, 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 when he touches the third rail of the temple, whoa, they start at the top of their voices. They rush at him, and in Luke, uh, at Acts chapter 7, verse 57, it says they, like a little child, you know, when a little child, remember when your kids were little, those of you that had kids, you remember how uh, you just told them something they didn't want to hear? They just put the, I, I can't hear you, Daddy. I can't, I can't, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Yeah, that's what they did. They put their, the, it says they covered their ears. They stopped their ears. I don't want to hear it. Suneco. They pushed in tight on their ears so they couldn't hear. That, Paul says, is what the love of Christ does for us. Put it up again, please. The love of Christ covers us. It presses hard on us from every side. That's what we're dealing with today. That's our meditation, for the love of Christ compels us. Why did Paul use this word compel? What does he mean when he describes this love throttling us, pressing us in, hemming us in from every side? A month ago this week, a month ago this week, we began, some of us here, 31 days of prayer. We've had several prayer journeys. We began 31 days of prayer. You remember that? And it was suggested to us that in these 31 days of prayer... We ought to read through the little classic Steps to Christ. Facebook has a place, has, has, has the daily readings for 31 days, all carefully marked. You read it, then leave, come back tomorrow. There it all is. We put a listing of the, of the, of the uh, readings all the way through the 31 days in the bulletin. So that's what Karen and I have been working over. We decided, okay, we're going to do this. Although I'm going to tell you, I'm going to confess to you that I was not really, you know, super jazzed about this. Look at the book was my saving grace. Jesus reached me through Steps of Christ when I was a graduate student at the seminary. Turned my life around. I got converted. So don't misunderstand me. The book is high in my, in my uh, regard. The books that I elevate. But you know what? After so many multiple readings, I mean, how many, how many times have I read this book? After so many multiple readings, this is, why, why do it all over again? But God caught me by surprise this time. Listen up. He caught me by surprise. So this discipline of sitting down every evening with Karen and reading three pages, I'm starting to say, I say, wait, wait, wait a minute. What's happening? This is some book. I begin to realize over and over, almost in every single reading, there is, there is some majestic portrayal of the love of God. And I'm starting to realize, good night, it's, it's, it's all the way through the book. 
And so I come to my staff and I say, guys, can you believe this? This book is full of references to the love of God. And then I, I uh, talked to the church board the other night. I said, can you, have, you, have you read Steps to Christ? I mean, do you get that blessed? I'm finding myself in the early mornings now, in these, during these 31 days, I'm going down to my little prayer closet where I have worship every morning, and now there's this line that Greg read just a moment ago. Beautiful singing today, Greg. Thank you for the choice, the selection of those songs, all focusing on the love of God. This is the weekend when the whole world thinks about the love of God. Not the, I'm sorry, the whole world thinks about love, not the love of God. I wish the whole world would think about the love of God on Valentine's weekend, but they don't. But thank you for doing that for us. And I'm thinking, you know what? This text that Greg read a moment ago, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You know, it's the twin. It's the twin to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Let's read 5, 14 one more time. Keep your finger here because we're coming right back. And then we'll look at the twin text, Paul's twin to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Now look at the twin. This twin is absolutely something else. And I've been finding myself just kind of repeating this text out loud to myself. Read it for yourself. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8. Page in the uh, Pew Bible would be page 760. Take a look at this. Just one line. How come I never saw this before? I've read this text a hundred times, but I didn't notice this. But God demonstrates His own. You see those words? His own? I hadn't caught that before. But God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How come I never saw that? His own. I mean, I understand that the love of Christ compels me. I understand that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. But how come I didn't get that? God, demonst God demonstrates His own love for us. The Father, His own love. And I'm reading Steps to Christ, and it's just popping off right and left. Let me, let me put a word from Steps to Christ on the screen. No study guide today. we got something big happening down in South Bend preoccupying us right now, and so you don't need a study guide. Let me put the words. Jot the page number down, though. Steps to Christ, pages 13 and 14. I'll put it on the screen for you. But this great sacrifice, talking about Calvary, but this great sacrifice was not made in order to create in the Father's heart a love for man and woman, not to make him willing to say, no, no, exclamation mark. No, no. Hold it, don't go, don't go there with that thought. No, no. Then John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Keep reading. The Father loves us, not because of the great sacrifice, but he provided the sacrifice because he loves us. Christ was the medium through which he could pour out his infinite love upon a fallen world. God was in Christ. The Father was in Christ at Calvary, reconciling the world to himself. Now keep going. God suffered with his Son. Do you get this? Sometimes we think of God this way. Okay, so the, the Son, Jesus, is on my side. I love Jesus. I'm scared to death of the Father, but I love Jesus. We, sometimes because of the Father that we've had. It just doesn't make sense that God could be a loving father. Okay, I can handle Jesus, but God help me with the father. No, 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 no. Keep reading. God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. God suffered with his son. Final line. In the agony of Gethsemane, the death of Calvary, the heart of infinite love paid the price of our redemption. 
End quote. Did you catch that? The heart of infinite love paid the price of our redemption. But God demonstrated His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the love of Christ compels us. Compels us. By the way, he didn't just donate a kidney. He donated a heart. Do you know what the survival rate is for heart donations? Huh? That's why there is no such thing as a live heart donor. I mean, you know, I love my pastoral staff. I might give a kidney. I am not inclined to donate my heart. Besides, I've already given my heart to Karen. Okay? Although I suppose, I suppose there is a mother somewhere today, if her little baby is dying, I suppose there's a mother somewhere today who would be willing to donate her heart to that child. I suppose there is a father today somewhere on this planet who, if his child is dying, would be willing to donate his heart to that child. But listen to me carefully. There is no doctor alive who would take from a healthy donor the heart to put it in to save another dying human being. No doctor would touch that. And yet that's what we have at Calvary. We have a live donor. Because he was willing to donate his heart and die forever... I tell you what, you come Monday evening, you bring that girlfriend of yours, and you come Monday evening to the greatest love story ever told. You come to I Perceive on Monday evening, willing to die forever. The donor gave his heart, willing to die forever, so that the recipient, you and me, might live with that heart. Ba-boom, 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 for the rest of our lives, forever and ever. Because that's the story of Calvary. Go back, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Here's the question for you. Come on, help me out here. Think through logically with me. How could a man, how could a woman, how could a young adult ever be the same again after being the recipient of such self-sacrificing love? A live donor gave me his heart and he died. How could you ever be the same again? You can't. Not if you're getting it. You can't be. That's why Paul says, hey, listen, the love of Christ throttles us, hems us in, won't let us budge. We can't move. We're surrounded. I love the way the New American Standard Bible puts it, for the love of Christ controls us. The New Revised Standard Version, for the love of Christ urges us on. But I think the message, Eugene Peterson got his rendition the best, for the love of Christ has the first and last word in everything we do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the whole point for the radicals this journey, this winter journey you and I are on. That's the whole point right there. Radicals, a generation of bold, intrepid followers of Jesus Christ. The age of 8, 18, or 80, it doesn't matter the age. A generation of radicals willing to follow him to the ends of the earth 
because they are controlled, urged on. The love of Christ is the first and last word in everything they do. And God is calling you to become that radical. You and me. That's why for 31 days, some of us have been praying this prayer. I've been praying it for 31 days. Have you? Remember this prayer? 31 days ended just this week. Let's put the prayer on the screen. Oh God, give me your heart for this lost world. And I will go anywhere in the world you send me. Why would you go anywhere for him? I'll tell you why. Because he went to hell for you. Come Monday night, you'll find out he went to hell for you. Let's, let's, let's pray that prayer out loud together. Oh God, give me your heart for this lost world and I will go anywhere in the world you send me. Why? Because the love of Christ compels me. That's why. And because the truth is I'm not only indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians as Paul taught us a few weeks ago, you remember that $1,000 I had in my pocket? Got another envelope here. This one's better. More money. Those of you who weren't here a few weeks ago, we looked at Paul's text, Romans 1.14, for I am, in, I am, I am a debtor to the, both to the Greeks and the barbarians. And we said, how can you be a debtor to somebody else? You're only a debtor to the person who gives you the money. No, if I give you $1,000, remember how this goes? If I give you $1,000 and I say, hey, yo, get it to her... Until you get it to her, you have my thousand. You're not in debt to me. You're in debt to her. Why? Because I asked you to give it to her. That's what the gospel is. God says, I gave you this money. Get it to them. Until you do, you're in debt to them. But the old way is true just as well. God gives me a white envelope, no writing on the outside, just a pack of money inside. He says, Dwight, you can keep this. I gave you something to give to the others, but this one's just for you. You can keep it. As long as I have this envelope, I am in debt to him, aren't I? As long as I've received from him, yeah. How much money do I have in this? You're not going to believe this. You are not going to, let's, let's get this camera up here. You are not going to believe this. You're going to have to see it for yourself. I have in this envelope, watch. All right. I have, can you see on the screen the denomination here? You can't see it, can you? because you should be weeping that I have it. <laughs> this says one million. This is a million dollar bill. No, it is. It's a million dollar bill. Yeah, my friend Ferdy Weber gave me nine of these. <laughs> I got them right here. Watch, okay? You don't think so? One million, two million, three million, four million. See, it's Mount Rushmore. Look, you, you've never seen a million dollar bill, so you didn't know what was on the back of one, did you? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's Mount Rushmore. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I thought he'd given me ten. I think I've already spent a million is the problem. <laughs> I'm keeping these, though, for safekeeping. A rainy day, nine million will get you somewhere. So I'm hanging on to it. Ladies and gentlemen, isn't that amazing? Thank you very much. Isn't that amazing? Nine million dollars in an envelope from God. You know what God says? Dwight, you don't have to give that to anybody. That's for you. Because I love you. In fact, you know what? I, I fibbed. These aren't really million dollar bills. No, they're trillion dollar bills. 
God gave me a pack of nine trillion. No, no, Dwight, it's not just trillion. Those are gazillion dollar bills. I gave you nine gazillion dollars because I love you. And I want to spend the rest of eternity with you. You keep it. You keep it. That's the other way you can be in debt. What's the point of this? I'll put it on the screen. The point of this is you can't put a price tag on the debt you and I owe God. Gazillions. There is no repayment plan long enough to pay him back. At your wages and mine, forget it. God says, I give it all to you. You have it all. It's yours. Keep it. Keep it. And so you and I will live indebted to God forever and ever. Amen. You can't pay it back. How are you going to pay this back? You can't. It's too much. You are in big time debt to the God of this universe. For the love of Christ compels us. Throttles us. Boy, do you understand how much I've given you. You don't get it, do you? You just think there's a little something namby-pamby along the way. I have given you everything I have. It's all yours. For the love of Christ compels us. It's no wonder the British theologian James Denny in his book on the death of Christ, I put it on the screen for you, he wrote these words, I do not hesitate to say that the sense of debt to Christ is the most profound and pervasive of all emotions in the New Testament. I owe, I owe, I owe. Forever and ever, amen, I owe. For the love of Christ compels us. Abba, come on, come on, come on, think with me, please. Isn't there a way I can just kind of do something, God? God, please, for this, can I do something back to you? Oh, really? That's all you want? You know what he just said? Yeah, here's what you do to pay me back. Tell all the other people that don't know they have nine gazillion dollars available to them. Go tell them that they have this for them too. I have this for them too. That's how you pay me back. Just find somebody. Find somebody who needs nine gazillion dollars and tell them, don't live this way anymore. You're living, like a, you're living like a pauper. Your self-esteem is in the gutter. You're dragging through life. Your heart is broken. Don't live this way anymore. I have a God who will pay you nine gazillion dollars and you'll feel like a prince and a princess when you're with him. God says, hey, you want to pay me back, Dwight? I mean, please, that would be great. Tell somebody else that I have this for them. Ah, the radicals. The radicals. Let me rephrase the question we began with as we close now. If someone donated his heart to you to keep you alive so that he died so that you could live, all right? If someone donated his heart to you, how would that impact the way you live for the rest of your life? Wouldn't you spend the rest of your life profoundly motivated by the heart that now beats inside of you? So last Sabbath, after Black History Sabbath. We're going back 
and the uh, South Asia club is having a potluck, and they see us walking by, and they run out and say, come on in, come on in, eat some good Indian food, and you, we'll never turn that invitation down. So we go in. I'm in the bathroom. I tell you what, you meet the greatest people in the bathroom. It's just <laughs> unbelievable who you meet. So I'm washing my hands beside another guy. Yo! Hey, he said, I know who you are. He said, you did a camp out once, and I was at that camp out. I said, really? Yeah, said, Stevensville. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Potato Creek. Yeah, right. I was there years ago. Yeah, yeah. How you doing? Fine. How are you? Fine. Oh, I had a heart transplant last uh, fall. I said, you what? He said, I had a heart transplant last fall. I said, you mean? Yeah. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. Wow. I'm standing next to a guy washing my hands in the bathroom who's alive today because somebody died so that he could get a heart. Do you know what it's like for that man? Every night he puts his head down on that feathered pillow and as he starts to fall asleep and he hears his pulse beating in his ear, every time he hears his pulse He's thinking, I'm alive. I'm alive because somebody died. I have a heart and I can live. Wow. For the love of Christ compels us. I'm alive. I got a donor heart. I want you to remember that in two weeks. I want you to remember that when it's time for you to sign on the dotted line to become a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ, 8, 18, or 80, I want you to remember that line. The love of Christ compels me. Because when you have been loved that much, is there anywhere in the world you would not go for him? Anywhere. Surely not. Surely not. Let's pray. Oh, God. Oh, God, we are in debt to you. This love that will not let us go. Amazing love. That you, my God, should die for me. Live heart donor. Oh, Jesus, your love compels us. We must go for you. Do not let us forget the reason why we go your love. Amen.